Good morning, everyone. Hello, welcome to the, uh, the fourth webinar in our Focus on Food series. For those of you who haven't attended one of these webinars before, uh, each month we focus on a topic of importance to food business owners and managers. Hopefully over time, this builds up a library of content that can be used for training or refresher purposes within your teams. The content itself is created from a non-technical perspective in order to be both accessible and practical. Previous webinars have focused on basic food microbiology and setting microbiological specifications for products and processes. Focus on Food is a subscription-based service. We only charge one membership fee per company though, and you can have unlimited users within that membership. So if there's anyone else within your team uh, that you'd like to attend the webinars or have access to the website, just let me know and uh, we can add them in. So in today's presentation, I'll be covering all the essential components for a compliant environmental monitoring plan, including tools such as risk analysis, the zone concept, sampling plans, setting limits, what to do with your results and what to do when the results are out of specification. Towards the end, we'll bring uh, all this together in a documented program, and I'll be giving you links to some templates and supporting documents that we have on the website, which will help you. So the environment in which foods are produced can have a significant impact on the microbiological safety and quality for your end product. Food safety outbreaks associated with Listeria monocytogenes and Salmonella over the years have uh, led to an increasing awareness that certain pathogens can persist in food processing environments. They contaminate foods as they are being processed and lead to uh, foodborne illness outbreaks. So when making a food product, it's important to have a production environment that's fit for purpose, one that won't contaminate your product at any stage in the process. As each production facility is different, uh, there are different levels of risk associated with them according to the construction, the layout, the products being made, the level of automation, etc. So because of this, it's vital that you take a holistic approach to assessing and monitoring the risks of your product from the environment and the facilities. Essentially, this starts with the initial design of the facility, uh, the location of the equipment, design of all your processes and so on. You can't control for everything and you can't eliminate all risks. So it's important to develop this uh, environmental monitoring program, um, a documented one that provides early warning if good hygiene controls are not effective. Environmental monitoring planning is the process of assessing the risk of contamination in the facility, introducing controls to reduce that risk, and then monitoring the effectiveness of those controls through specific targeted sampling and microbiological testing. It's important to use a mixture of data collection methods, including things such as settle plates, uh, swabs, water testing, but incorporating this with your end product testing as well, so everything works together. What we're looking for is actionable data, which means you need to understand why you're undertaking specific testing and what you need to do when the results are out of specification. 
So why is it important? Increasingly, having a, a validated environmental monitoring plan is an essential part of running a food business in much the same way as HACCP and food safety planning are requirements. It's about understanding your processes and products, identifying the risks, introducing controls and using that information to take action to protect your product. Having a formal written environmental monitoring plan is a great way of demonstrating to customers that you've fully considered all of the potential risks associated with your facility and implemented effective controls to reduce or eliminate those risks. It provides assurance for both you and distributors and customers that the potential for introducing contamination into the final product is being regularly and systematically monitored, producing actionable data and recording the actions that you've taken. It can provide advance warning of issues in the facility before they surface in the final product. So the starting point of a comprehensive environmental monitoring program comes right at the start of the process with good hygienic design of the facilities and processes. This is also one of the most overlooked elements. It's much more difficult to back engineer hygienic processes and design once the facility is up and running. Unfortunately, practically speaking, this is the reality for many managers uh, and team leaders and business owners who inherit facilities and processes. Just bear in mind that most contamination comes from the activities of humans. It's obvious, but again, it's often forgotten in the rush to sort of measure everything else. Good practice is to observe and document the flow of people in the facility. You use this to identify high risk activities and processes. So anything with direct human contact with open product is high risk. And then implement effective controls, for example, automation, just simple things like wearing gloves, using hand sanitizers uh, to more complex and expensive operations such as decontamination rooms and areas. Uh, color coding tools and equipment, etc. When assessing the risk, it's important to have a multidisciplinary team so that different perspectives and expertise can be included in the overall assessment. On a strategic level, introduce and foster a culture of food safety throughout the organization. So food safety is everybody's responsibility, not just those in production rooms. Training at all levels needs to be focused on hygiene, food safety, and understanding of basic food microbiology. So just share like, the first two webinars in this series that we did with your teams. Uh, there's also a basic food hygiene course available on the Focus on Food website, which gives a, a wider overview of, of food hygiene. This holistic approach is essential for ensuring that risk is contextualized as much as possible for the whole team and not just those directly responsible for the food production. To begin with, identify the potential sources of contamination in your facility. Personnel and water are the two primary sources. Surfaces, air and equipment are secondary sources. And finally, the, the product itself through processing and the ingredients that come into to be made into the product that needs to be considered 
for example, what can grow in the product. Remember things from the original, uh, the first two webinars like pH, water activity. Uh, these things have an impact on what's able to grow within your product. Once you've identified all of the potential sources of contamination, you're ready to begin planning your environmental monitoring program. This is just a, an overview slide which shows all of the elements of a compliant environmental monitoring plan and it can be used as a template for your own plan. I've uploaded a, a sort of 15 pen page uh, template onto the Focus on Food website. It's on the templates and downloads page which I will uh, send to you all in a link on Monday when I send out the link to the recording of the webinar. If you use each bullet point as a section header in your plan and address each one systematically, you'll have a robust written plan uh, for when or if your facility is audited, but also to look back on in time um, if anything ever goes wrong. So as with all formal plans, uh, the EM plan should begin with an introduction, scope, limitations section, Things to include in this section are name and address of the facility, the members of the team undertaking the environmental risk assessment, a list of the products made at the facility, uh, the ingredients, sort of thing, product characteristics information, and an outline of the scope and limitations of the plan itself. And there you move on to risk analysis and sec assessment. And in this section, you'll undertake a risk assessment of the facility and the processes in order to determine the level of environmental contamination risk to the final product and to implement controls. The risk assessment element usually starts with a walkthrough of the process and the creation of a process flow map. You may have already done this for the, uh, the HACCP or food safety plan, but it's always good to go through it again with the, the environmental monitoring team. Things can be missed initially or, or your HACCP plan may be several years old, uh, may need updating. So the purpose of the process flow is to help you understand all of the elements involved in creating the final product. Depending on how you intend to categorize your risks, the next stage could involve establishing hygiene zones as per the ICMSF zone concept. We'll have a look through this in the next slide. After assigning zones, you can define and assign criticality factors. These also help to categorize risk and assign sampling levels. After that, you'll need to assign room identifiers and sampling point names and numbers so that test results can easily be tracked back to the exact location that the sample was taken. Sampling points need to be determined based on gathering actionable data on the likelihood or risk of contamination that will have an impact on the final product and therefore the consumer. Once you've established the zones, the criticality factors and assigned the designations to each room and sampling point, you can assess and assign a risk rating for each room and sampling point. So just a quick look at the, the zone concept, which I mentioned in the previous slide. The International Commission on Microbiological Specifications for Foods, the ICMSF, which I refer to a lot 
in 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 my webinars because they uh, they pretty much set the whole, all the, the benchmarks and the standards for developing HACCP um, and all the associated microbiological uh, monitoring and, and uh, testing of food. They developed the SOME concept to aid in assigning risk categories to various areas of the facility. So in this concept, Zone 1, also known as the, the high hygiene area, includes direct food contact areas um, and instruments such as fillers, racks, containers and slices. Zone 2 would include those areas adjacent to Zone 1, such as the non-food contact services in the main processing area, uh, switches, control panels, refrigeration units, etc. Zone three includes areas immediately surrounding zone two. So you can see the process just fanning out from the central zone. Uh, and this will have things such as the walls, the ceilings, floors, drains, uh, tools and utensils. Finally, zone four is the lowest risk area and includes uh, employee areas, the warehouse, the facility traffic, which could be people or vehicles. Now, obviously, there, there can be some variation within these zone categories, depending on the facility itself. Uh, for example, a, a, a low risk facility making something um, that has very small microbiological risk, it, it may have three active zones that are monitored. Um, but it's a useful tool for organizing your strategy and uh, your thinking around the potential for contamination in the facility. So another useful risk assessment tool is the uh, use of criticality factors uh, to determine the frequency of monitoring and sampling required. And again, dependent on the activity that's taking place at each sampling point. So this, this slide just has an example table um, of uh, different areas and the likelihood of the, uh, the impact on the end product and an associated monitoring frequency. So for example, a criticality factor of one would be high risk and require sort of daily or batch monitoring because of the high likelihood of contamination incidents impacting the end product. This would usually be with a high risk product and because the activity involves direct contact with open product that's not undergoing any further processing or kill step. So it's beyond the kill step. And at the other end of the scale, there's a criticality factor of six, which would represent a process that's either uncontrolled, so you wouldn't monitor it essentially, or where there's likely to be no significant microbial contamination impacting the end product. Uh, for example, storage in a freezer in this case, monitoring would be very infrequent, um, perhaps every six months in a high to medium risk product, um, longer in a low risk product. It's important to remember, obviously, that these timescales need to be appropriate for each specific facility, process and product. There is no one size fits all approach to environmental monitoring that will work for everyone. Having determined criticality factors and assigned processes and rooms a rating, you can create your sampling frequency and sampling plan elements. 
The frequency that each sampling point is monitored would depend on a number of factors. Whether it's part of a predetermined strategy, for example, if utilizing the uh, criticality factors or the zone approaches, whether it's based on previous testing results, for example, if you have two years of data for a point with no detection of contamination, then less frequent monitoring can be justified. Or finally, whether the sampling's exploratory in nature, uh, for example, when setting your initial baseline levels for a facility, it's necessary to sample more frequently to build up uh, data. Or if investigating product non-conformance or out of specification results, you may need to increase the sampling frequency and the range of tests in order to discover where the contaminations come from. So a sampling plan will need to include items such as responsibilities, who's responsible for carrying out the sampling? Are you doing this in-house or is this contracted out to a lab? Uh, who, who's undergoing the training? Have they been properly trained? Who did the training? This all needs to be signed off and records kept. The location of the monitoring points, which would go on the, uh, the facility plan. The frequency of sampling. Sampling techniques and test methods used how the results will be monitored and what the corrective actions are for each sampling point that's out of specification. So we mentioned sampling techniques and methods. Here's just a few examples of the types of collection media to use for specific monitoring. For example, with air settle plates, you wouldn't be trying to find salmonella because that would be like trying to find a needle in a haystack, uh, but you need a broad brush approach to determine the general air quality. In this case, total aerobic bacteria and yeast and mold will give a great indication of the hygiene levels in the air. When using sponge swabs, you're probably going to be looking for specific pathogens, for example, Listeria monocytogenes in growth niches. And you'll want to cover as large an area as you can in the niches and the cracks where Listeria can form biofilms. And finally, uh, post-cleaning, you may wish to quickly check the effectiveness of the SSOPs by using ATP swabs. Uh, generally for effective environmental monitoring, however, I'd recommend swabs and air settle plates to be taken during production as much as possible, as that's when contaminations are likely to be present. And you'll have a, a better indication then of the sanitary levels in the facility rather than just after cleaning just after cleaning the facility should be clean. So one of the biggest mistakes that I see uh, companies making when uh, sampling, environmental sampling, um, is, is during labeling of the samples. Um, it's not using a consistent sample identification pro protocol. So in order to easily trend and analyze all your testing data, you need to be consistent in room identification and sample name and format. For example, identifying a room by its current function may work for a period of time, but if the function changes and the name's adjusted, you'll no longer be able to easily compare results over time for that location. So a room may be called dairy powder filling room one year and dairy powder packing room two the next year 
and when you get your results back from the lab you won't necessarily know that those are the same room so if you're looking at the results in three years time you know or if there are any staff changes it may get confusing for people looking back over past results it's therefore useful in the long term to assign a non-function based identifier to each room which is what i always recommend based on um, the location on the site map and the location of each room within that on the facility so you, the room may therefore have an identifier such as ABC123, make it very easy to identify when trending results, that name and format would be consistent. And the sample points in each room can follow a predetermined format and they'd be identified on the site map as well. Each sample will then be identified by having the following information on both the sample container and the sample submission form. Company name, date and time the sample was taken, the sample number, the room number and the sample point. So you can just see on this slide there was uh, there's a little um, air settle plate there that's been filled in um, with the relevant information, information as described. So you can see the, the sample number is sample number one, the room is RM123 and the sampling point is SP1. That makes it very easy when you're filling in your sample submission form. You just include that information on the form when the results come back from the lab. It's very easy to correlate that with the test results. So test results are only useful if you have in place a strategy to deal with them. They then become actionable data. This simple table uh, is an example of predetermined alert and action limits, also known as specifications, uh, with the associated corrective actions for each risk category. High risk areas have more stringent specifications, for example, up to 50 CFUs per plate for an air settle plate sample and more comprehensive corrective actions as the potential impact of contamination incidents at these points is greater than elsewhere. All corrective actions should be proportionate to the level of risk to the final consumer. So this is just a, a quick example of a process flow for an alert limit that's been reached and the corrective action that's taken. This needs to be in your plan. And here's the process for corrective and further actions when the action limit is reached for a specific sample. It's always important to document your actions and verify that the facility is back under hygienic control after implementing the corrective actions. An investigation can be wide, limit, wide ranging or limited, depending on the level of risk to the final product and therefore the consumer. All risk is also related to the risk level of the product. So high risk products will have much more detailed and stringent sampling plans with tighter specifications and more far-reaching corrective actions. So which organisms do you need to test for in your EM, in your environmental monitoring program? Of course, uh, specific pathogens will depend on the risk factors for your particular product. One of the most difficult to eradicate in the production environment once it gets established is Listeria monocytogenes. It's also one of the most damaging in the right product. 
Um, for example, uh, in long shelf life refrigerated products such as salads, uh, certain cheeses, smoked salmon, etc. Other pathogens of concern are uh, Chronobacter, for example, in, in uh, milk formula products, and Salmonella, for example, in chocolate, nut-based products, amongst many others. Um, if any of these pathogens are detected in routine end product testing, you may need to undertake an extensive investigation of the production facility to determine the source of this contamination. So monitoring for these pathogens in targeted areas can be an effective preventative measure against the product becoming contaminated. Listeria can grow in niches and it will form biofilms in very difficult to clean parts of the facility, such as uh, the hollow rollers, lips of storage vessels, the belts and moving parts of the machinery in pipes. Once established, parts of the biofilm can detach and enter into the product. This can be especially damaging if the contamination occurs after a kill step, as no further processing will remove it. For more general trending of the hygiene status of the facility, we use standard plate count. That's a count of all viable aerobic microorganisms, yeast and mold, and uh, Enterobacteriaceae. When selecting a testing method, those that provide counts are more useful than presence absence as we're able to trend the results over time. For example, if swabbing a potential growth niche for listeria, presence absence tests will tell you that you have a potential issue, whereas a quantitative, quantitative test will give you more of an idea of the extent of the issue. The results for each area and test should be tracked over time so that trends can be easily spotted. This will give you advance warning of any potential issues for the final product. As uh, Peter Drucker famously said in the 1950s, what gets measured gets managed. So you will need data to inform your actions. Also over time, the data can show that action has been effective. So what you want to see is, is this a general decrease in counts. So what happens when the results are out of specification? So it may be necessary then to undertake an investigation. A root cause analysis investigation is a process for answering the question of why an identified problem occurred in the first place. It seeks to identify the origin of a problem using a specific set of steps with associated tools to find the primary cause of the problem. So we can, uh, one, determine what happened, determine why it happened, determine what actions to take to reduce the likelihood that it'll happen again. Root cause analysis assumes that systems and events are interrelated, which is why I was uh, talking about taking a holistic approach at the beginning. Um, an action in one area triggers an action in another and another and so on. By tracing back these actions, it's possible to discover where the problem started, how it grew into the symptom that's manifesting. This slide shows a, a root cause analysis tool called the fishbone or Ishikawa diagram. It's a simple tool, 
gathers information to help in root cause analysis. So a template of this is available for download from the Focus on Food website downloads and templates page. A very simple root cause analysis tool is the five whys, you've probably all heard of it. It just consists of uh, essentially you define the issue and then asking why it occurred. Uh, there could be up to five levels of response depending on the complexity of the issue, but very often the root cause is established early on in the process. So useful sources of supporting information for your written plan would include uh, your HACCP or food safety plan and your, your GMP SSOPs, so your sanitization operating procedures. These are a key source of information uh, such as product characteristics, the cleaning and sanitizing uh, times and length, key contact information, etc. You'll need to refer to these documents in your environmental monitoring plan and keep records of any corrective actions taken as a consequence of out of specification results. This is not just for demonstrating due diligence and impressing your auditors. Uh, it helps provide information and guidance for future investigations or when designing new processes and products. So there's something new that ALS have, uh, have been able to introduce recently is a, a tool called Visuals. That's Visu with ALS at the end. Um, for clients with a seven or 30 day trading account with ALS, you can access um, this mapping software. You'll need to have a, an environmental program in place and a floor plan that can be uploaded to our system but it can be something as simple as the, the one shown here. And what we do then is, is working with uh, Sarah, who, who manages this system. Uh, you set up your sampling points in the system and they can appear on the site map as so. Once the sampling points are set up, we can schedule your testing results to be automatically sent via email into the system and your results will show up on the site plan. So when the results are issued, they're associated with each sampling point and your test results are added to the, the visual system and they begin generating reports for each sampling point. So this is your, your data trending system. It's a very simple interface and it visually shows which sampling points are in specification and which need attention. So here's a, a very simple example of when the results have been uploaded. Uh, you can easily see that the blending room has an area of red indicating that one of the tests is out of specification. So it, if anyone's interested in setting this up for your business, um, please contact Sarah Hansen. Her email address is there or, or get in touch with me and I, I can put you on to Sarah. It's a great system, very visual, uh, very handy. Okay, so I, I keep mentioning about the, um, the, the downloads and the templates that you can use. Uh, there are a number of templates that are available to help you, uh, available on our website. 
you can download them from the templates and download section of the website. Uh, I'll include the link in the email that I send out um, on Monday to notify you that the recording's available. Um, the food recall document's very useful. Hopefully you'll never need to use it, but on that it's, it walks through undertaking a, a, a food recall or a withdrawal, and it has all the contact details of everybody um, in the Food Standards Agency and the local authority that you need to contact. The basic food hygiene presentation I mentioned earlier, it's a great overview for, for new staff for training purposes. Um, I've also uploaded templates for the fishbone diagram and the five whys process. And there's a, a draft environmental monitoring plan template that has all the sections discussed in this um, presentation plus quite a lot more information. There's a training section. Um, there's information on um, all the uh, organisms that you need to test for. Uh, and there's an overview of how to undertake sampling from um, air saddle plates and swab perspective. So hopefully uh, you'll find that information useful and can access it. If anybody has any problems accessing any of the information on the website, just let me know and uh, I can help out. So that brings us to the end uh, of this webinar. Thank you everyone for, for coming along. I'll be uploading the recording and sending out a link uh, on Monday. All of the documents mentioned are, are available on the website, probably later today, but I'll, I'll, I'll uh, include the links in the email on Monday as well. Our next webinar is due to take place on Friday the 29th of November, same time. So I hope you can join me then. Next time we'll be focusing on shelf life. Uh, that's a, a, a huge subject and we'll be giving an overview uh, um, of everything that you need to know to set and verify your product shelf life. So thanks again for attending. Have a great day. Thank you.